Greetings, our good friends. This is Paul Bennett. I'm here with Stephen Young. We're both uh, staff members of the Rocky River United Methodist Church. We're here with our podcast, The Encouraging Word. Uh, today, we're hanging out with Adam Hamilton. Adam? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's not actually here. No. We're hanging out with Adam Hamilton's uh, book entitled Incarnation. And, and those who have uh, been in the mix here at uh, RRUMC the last couple of weeks know that uh, this is our text for the Advent season. Uh, each year we do a, a church-wide Advent study, which means that we have groups uh, that are open to everybody in the church, uh, all sorts of different day and time slots to try and encourage people to get involved in those groups and read the same text together uh, and, and break it down and, and learn and, and deepen our faith, uh, especially around the, the topic of uh, the Nativity story and uh, what the Incarnation in particular this year means to us as Christians. So this year we've chosen uh, the, the book Incarnation by Reverend Adam Hamilton. And uh, Stephen and I thought that for our, uh, our Advent month here together with you, we would do a couple of episodes just uh, working our way through the book and highlighting some of the important um, texts and, and quotes from uh, Reverend Hamilton along the way and just uh, trying to get in the Christmas spirit with you. Uh, although, you know, not everything in the text aligns directly with uh, Christmas content, but uh, if you read the book, you'll be able to connect back what, what we're talking about with uh, Hamilton's ultimate purpose and how he drives home the message of Christmas uh, in the book in its entirety. But before we, we get going with that, uh, we want to take a moment to knock out our, our fit segment, those things in Stephen and I's lives that have been funny, interesting, or thought-provoking in the last uh, couple of weeks okay. or since we hung out with you last. So, uh, Stephen, you... Got anything good for us this week or uh, yeah. just the typical, you know? <laughs> <laughs> typical just kid stuff. Um, there is some kid stuff, but I found um, something that was really interesting that happened a few days ago. Um, some, some people don't know that usually Paul and I discuss. Um, we were going to discuss different podcasts to do. So I think at the beginning of this year we discussed different podcast ideas. And one of them is that we were going to do a – NFL football review, but uh, we scratched that. Um, we don't know how many NFL fans we have out, have out there, um, but maybe we'll do that next year. We'll see. Um, but this one has to do with the NFL. So um, <clears throat> when I typically go to pick up my girls from the school, ba- school bus, um, we walk past all the houses in the neighborhood, and I noticed um, that uh, on the way back that one of the houses that um, flies a Browns flag um, they were flying their Browns flag at half staff. And um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was really funny. And um, I, I know if you're a Browns fan out there, maybe maybe you would probably fly, fly your flag half staff too because it's just been a rough year for the Browns. They came in with such high expectations and then, uh, then just – the Browns happened, and they, <laughs> they <laughs> the Browns and I, I really thought they were going to be great this year too. So it's been somewhat disappointing as well. Um, but uh, I guess it, the phrase, what's the phrase? There's always next year, I guess. Yeah, um, always the draft. And technically, um, technically at this point, as we're speaking, they're not actually out of the playoffs per se. They can actually still, if they win out, they can still get into it. Um, but it's just it's just been a rough year for them. Um, if any, and just in case if anyone wanted to know, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Um, I do like the Browns since their hometown team, but the Chiefs are who I really root for. Just just a disclaimer there. So, 
So we've yeah. debated uh, how many NFL fans we have amongst our listeners and whether it's worth talking about. Now <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to question how many listeners we're going to have, period, after we start <laughs> right making yeah. fun of and putting down the whole I, I wasn't making fun. I was just po- <laughs> observing. I observed something, and I just oh. said this is what happened. I wasn't so, making fun of them. I actually said they can still make the playoffs. So Yes, the math yeah. is, is yeah, still, it's still in their showing. favor. Ish. <laughs> Favor may not yeah. be. It. It's still possible. It's right. Still possible. And this yes. is coming from the one who's a Steelers fan. Just now, we might have lost yeah, everyone. Yeah, but the, the difference is, I don't, I don't parade that in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, I have enough right. love and respect for right. our fellow uh, brothers right. and sisters out there. Except for the tattoo that's right on your chest. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, right I over your heart. That's had right. opportunity to share that yeah. with our church family yet. But. I'm sure there will come a time. <laughs> yeah. That's why I never get in the pool uh, at the annual, <laughs> you know, the, the annual right, picnic and right. pool party. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I thought you did present oh, that man. fairly respectfully, and it is uh, kind of an interesting concept <laughs> that you would fly your your sports team's uh, flag right. at half mass. Is the sense that right. there's been a a casualty or a death in the yeah I know, right exactly <laughs> in, in, maybe in your heart to exactly. uh, come to the realization right. the seasons and more I, or less over. and i just thought about this the, the house next to it has a steelers flag and there's just just flying out there flying so, nice yeah, and, yeah. and high and, and proud yeah. and yes yes <laughs> they don't have a mass though like the browns oh does, okay so they can't really fly half staff wow they would just have to take it down, but they still have it up. So beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Well, you got you got at least one good neighbor, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for my my fifth segment, I thought uh, this time of year, uh, Steven's talking football. It's football season. I thought I'd talk uh, Christmas tree uh, hunting and and decorating and such. Just a a brief um, insight into how the Bennetts go about that process. We we've traditionally always done a uh, a fake tree is that the way I mean, yeah, we just call it fake that's or what is that do. what i call them yeah. it's probably a, a nicer word for it but uh but an artificial yeah artificial, artificial fake tree yeah. uh we have one that uh, we've been hanging on to since our our wedding was a gift and um it, it takes good 30 care years of us. ago right how many years ago 30 30 you're yes. married 30 years 30, ago. yes yeah i was about uh, <laughs> nine and uh quinn was yeah an older woman at the time yeah (laughs) Yeah. but uh our 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 christmas tree is uh, much beloved but i i've always been enticed uh by the the concept of going out and cutting down your own tree and uh it was something i think maybe as a child we did once or twice it wasn't a regular thing but i kind of pushed our family to try that a few years back and uh we did it the first time as a family anyhow with the kids i think two years ago and uh i i felt like it was a good experience but my family didn't uh, entirely agree with that. I guess it was a really cold day when we went out, and you know, as as kids often do, they didn't dress warm enough, um, <laughs> despite our urgings. And and uh, we we enjoy picking out the tree, but uh, once we cut it down and started to haul it in, I think we realized how how prickly this tree was. You know, trees come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, even evergreen trees. Um, very different, uh, different makeups, and and this one in particular was beautiful to look at, but the needles were, were so uh, sharp and and painful to the touch, and uh, so we we cut this tree, we we hauled it home, we got it all set up, but the only way we could touch it uh, was 
basically by wearing work gloves because <laughs> you know you get we in the process of uh, trying to decorate it initially we, we had several kids that uh, were bleeding <laughs> <laughs> so we we realized we needed to uh, protect ourselves from our trees. Wow. So. Uh, but it, it ended our up being artificial nice tree. tree is so soft, we could sleep on it. You know, <laughs> it's, sleep it's so on soft, it. and you yeah. often do. Often. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and that's bleeding. so. I, I I gave in. We went back to artificial last year, but th- this year I pushed again, and we went and got a a nice uh, a nice real tree uh, down at a tree farm in Medina. Brought it home. Uh, everybody was good sports about it, and and uh, I think we had a better experience. But we. We learned something new this year. Just because it's not prickly doesn't mean it doesn't have its flaws. So we got a, a long needle tree, uh, nice and, and comfy and cozy to decorate. But the the branches, because the needles are so long, the branches are so flimsy, there's like nowhere to hang mm-hmm. ornaments. So you almost have to tuck all the ornaments in right by the trunk is the only place where there's uh, strong enough branches. And, and so it looks a little funny. Are this there time any around. spiders in it? No spiders. Okay. They they actually they shake all the spiders and snakes and squirrels out yes. before you bring it home. They got a cool uh-huh. little tree shaker device. Right, uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, but uh, no spiders to this point. Hopefully, to this point. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's it's all decorated. I think it's I think it's beautiful. But there have been uh, so some criticism along the way. We feed it water and and sprite uh, every few days. I guess that's a thing. You feed it water or you water it? I water it water. Right. Is that what you wanted me to say? <laughs> yes, Stephen, I water my tree water uh, and, and Sprite. Mostly I was trying to introduce the Sprite concept because that's new to me this year. That yeah, I never heard of that. You should water your tree Sprite. Hmm. Yes. If I'm saying that correctly. So uh, enough of this, uh, this yeah, fit stuff. Yeah. We got um, we're Adam Hamilton here uh, in book form, and uh, we're going to dig into some of these quotes as – we uh, engage this first chapter in the book. Those who are reading along uh, have already read it. We'll know that the uh, first chapter is entitled Presidents and Kings, and maybe we'll, we'll overlap a little bit with that concept as we dig in. But, um, Stephen, did you want to throw out that first quote? <coughs> yeah, so um, we have several quotes here that, um, that we're going to read that we found, um, I would say, fit, but... Not they're not funny though, but we thought they're <laughs> interesting and thought provoking. So there we go. It we thought they were it. Um, so <laughs> page seventeen, um, the quote is: um, "This this season puts into perspective all our political wrangling. Um, whatever Christians think about their president and whoever we voted for in the various elections, we are meant to know that there is only one King. It is to Him we give our highest allegiance." While our politics have divided us, Advent should bring us together, uniting us around the newborn king and his life, message, ministry, death, and resurrection. Um, so this is a quote that um, I kind of had cherry-picked out, that we cherry-picked out, and I um, really think it was something that in our day and age, um, no matter whether it's a presidential election year or not, um, politics has always, especially recently, has just been such a, hot topic, a debatable topic, um, which, which, you know, in a democracy, that's what you want. You want to have two sides. You want to have two different views, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with having two different views, um, but it, it can get to a point where our politics can um, be something that um, highly divides us, divides us to such a point where 
Um, you can see fights breaking out and people, I don't want to go to their house or this house because they voted this or that. And the politics becomes something that becomes a huge wedge um, between friends and neighbors and family. Um, and I think this quote really um, helps bring in um, full circle how we should think when it comes um, to our highest allegiance, which is, which is Christ, um, and that our politics can't divide us, as he's quoted here, saying that Advent, um, this Christmas season, um, should bring us together. And, and of course, y- you want to say that it's more than just Advent. You want to, Christ is our King, whether it's Christmas time or not, and, and our allegiance to Christ should always be um, the factor, be the, the power, uh, the thing that unites us, which is Christians, unites us together. And then I would also argue it should help us to um, stay kind and loving and caring to those who aren't Christians as well because Christ loved those. Um, um, Christ loved sinners, right? Those who did, were not following the word of God, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the foreigners. Christ loved them all. Um, um, so we as well, with our highest allegiance, highest allegiance to Christ, I'm sure also love those who have different views than us. So, Paul, do you agree with that or disagree? I uh, I absolutely <laughs> oh, agree okay, okay. with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're, you're spot on. Uh, <clears throat> I think Christmas has a way of you know there's magic in the air, right? And we we come together and and um, there's something about the season and and even you know, those who aren't celebrating the coming of Christ, they, they still sense that magic and wonder of it, I think because of some of the fantastical stories and and uh, illustrations and, and the history behind it and, and all of that, uh, those traditions brought together. But as Christians in particular, I think um, we, we sense there's something unique about this season. And of course, uh, um, often the same thing occurs around the Easter season as we're building up towards the, the remembrance of uh, of Good Friday, you know, and, and the uh, crucifixion, and and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday, you know, something about coming together around these huge events and and the the concepts that they represent within our faith, those these, these important concepts that uh, we need to instill within ourselves as as believers. And having a holiday to to highlight it <clears throat> ends up being a beautiful thing, but it seems like the world as a whole is perfectly content at least those who do celebrate Christmas, just setting aside all the things that divide us uh, for a season. And, um, and that's why you know, we're able to feel this, this good cheer and this, uh, this unity that we often don't. Uh, and, of course, there's exceptions, right? We, we set it aside. We think we do. And then on uh, Black Friday, people are fighting over, you know, video games and, and Best Buy or, or uh, you know, people. Tickle are, Me Elmo, right? Tickle Me Elmo Is back it? in the day was, a, yeah, every year no there's something. Fi- Is no one fighting over that anymore? Either? Not so much anymore. <laughs> I don't think so, unless it's in the antique store. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, people are able to set aside their political differences um and i don't think it takes a whole lot of effort because we have the the distraction of something that we all kind of uh we kind of subconsciously recognize to be more important greater and uh and more meaningful in our lives than those things that do divide us i think as christians the key is to recognize that uh, what we're drawn to in Christmas is is a reminder of our identity, and it's our primary identity. And I think Adam Hamilton is trying to point that out here, that 
uh, Christmas reminds us that we're all children of God and we're all uh, servants of the King. And when Christ came in human form, uh, that uh, experience became amplified for us so that we have an opportunity to follow um, based on the, the human example of Jesus uh, and the sacrifice that he made for us, uh, follow and, and be connected to a God that wants to be in relationship with us. And we did a sermon series, I think over the summer maybe this year or previously, uh, called Dual Citizenship. We talked about that, putting that sense of identity first uh, and foremost above all the others. So I think as Christians, you know, we understand that um, the Advent season is kind of a reprieve, like it's only temporary, it's going to disappear, and in January, you know, people are going to start uh, complaining about the president did this or that again, or we're going to start getting revved up for uh, spring elections, or or somebody's going to say something ridiculous, and you know, we're all going to pile on. But uh, I think the key is, you know, taking what we experience in Advent and somehow grasping a hold of it, making sure that it may, it's it's uh, a part of us throughout the year that 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 joy and that that hope and that peace and that love i'm stealing all the advent uh, the weak words but and and that sense of identity as children of uh christ is is the most important part of who we are throughout the year and then i think those things that do divide us uh, can be set aside or at least muffled just a bit um, when they try to creep up because our our closeness to christ will um, will get us back on track when we were tempted to fall into um, divisiveness and those sorts of things. Right. Um, <clears throat> um, so this actually leads really well into um, the next quote um, that we have on. So if anyone, I know some of you listening might actually um, be a part, I think Paul mentioned this at the beginning, might be a part of the Advent study. Um, so you may actually have the book in front of you, which would be fantastic. So you could look at these quotes yourself. Um, and uh, I, I know Paul. Paul's probably going to sign this podcast to some Advent studies. So <laughs> <laughs> please don't assign the podcast to your Advent studies. Have your own. Advent yes, study. it's cruel and unusual. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> um, anyways, on page thirty to thirty-one, um, we're going to look at um, this quote here. It says, um, "At the age of thirty, speaking of Jesus, at the age of thirty, Jesus began his campaign." For the office of king so this is adam hamilton given a really interesting perspective on the life and ministry of jesus um, so at the age of 30 jesus began his campaign for the office of king he traveled from town to town giving various stump speeches about the kingdom of god and these campaign speeches he called people to love god their neighbors and even their enemies he called his hearers to humility kindness integrity forgiveness and self and um, selflessness he asked them to care for the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, and the immigrant. He, he decried arrogance and hypocrisy. Um, so he, go, he continues to go on um, on that page about um, Jesus' campaign, quote-unquote campaign ministry. Um, and, I, and I found this really fascinating because I never saw the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of, through a kind of a political lens as if Jesus was running for an office. Um, I think it's an inter interesting perspective to see that as if Jesus was a presidential candidate. Um, though I will say there's, and with any good reading, you always talk back to the, to the book, but I think 
sometimes I think it's perhaps Jesus was a little, obviously more than just a political campaign. Um, there are a lot of differences, I would say, between Jesus' bringing, entering or bringing the kingdom of God to earth and, and the motivations of a political, um, someone who's, who's running for a political office. Um, in the sense that Jesus was Jesus was always reaching for people, always seeking, always um, seeking the lost, um, um, but not in the same sense that a politician is seeking votes. Um, I think there's a difference between the two, um, as Jesus was seeking to save souls and 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 transform us, transform our hearts, transform our minds. Um, whereas a political platform isn't; they're not trying to be <coughs> as transformational. Um, they might want you to gravitate towards their um, political viewpoint or how they see the world, but not in, I don't think they're calling us in a sense to completely change our lives to revolve around them. Um, that would be pretty radical. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus was definitely radical in that sense where he said, listen, like your life has to be complete, completely revolved around me a matter of fact you must give me your life you know that that's a high high calling that um that we love christ so much in the sense that we give all our we give completely our life to him um no no politician is calling us to do that and that would be quite strange um um, so i but i don't think hamilton is trying to uh essentially saying that they're a one-to-one but i do think it gives an interesting perspective on jesus life and ministry in the sense that we see what he was calling his followers, how he was calling his followers to live. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, Hamilton just gives us an opportunity to have the conversation, which is right. which is a unique conversation, right. unique concept. Um, I think if you were to have a, a politician uh, engaging in a campaign and they happen to be uh, a person who was um, – 100% uh, loving and uh, was able to show everybody unconditional love, 100% selfless, and that uh, everything that they did and said was truly done out of love and a desire to improve the life of, of those around them, and uh, they were able to, to serve in a way that wasn't about them, uh, then it, it may have looked a lot like Jesus's campaign. Right. Um, but uh, obviously that's not the case, but it still gives us an opportunity to contrast those two things. The other thing interesting to me is, you know, Jesus was trying to engage people and, and create followers and, and grow his following to a point. Uh, but as he went around, he also understood that big picture, um, it wasn't just about drawing the world to him in those three years that he was in ministry. Right. It was about um, nurturing the growth of those followers that were closest to him and equipping them to go out and impact right. the world in an even more dynamic way, uh, such that there were times when he knew that uh, that the reaction he was going to get out of people or, or right. what people really thought or really believed was not healthy or somehow and he actually kind of stifled the momentum of right. his own campaign so to speak like yep. he you know can you imagine a politician going out and healing a small child and then saying oh by the way don't tell anybody what i did right. you know or could you imagine a politician say Eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> right, like right. That's, you know, yeah. even even for back then, when you read that passage in John, there many of the disciples are like, "Whoa, this is too radical for me." 
um, and then they started um, pulling away. So even back then, it was a radical. But yeah, a politician, if they say that, you're like, you're some weird cult leader. Right, right. Like, right. Yeah, politicians are so often willing to stretch the truth or even tell untruths um, right. to gain popularity. Jesus was uh, willing oh, yeah. to speak uh, the truth at, at whatever cost, even if it meant um, eliminating followers. So, right. you know, and that's just that's a, that's that's who Jesus was and is. And, and that's uh, God in human flesh. And we wouldn't expect anything different. And he is the model, <laughs> you know, if. If we could get politicians to run their campaigns or, or even aspire to, to be a, a leader in, in the same uh, way that Jesus was, we would be a much healthier and um, you know, more, more dynamic uh, nation and, and uh, people. So uh, it's an interesting comparison, and I think uh, as we read the Gospels, maybe moving forward, uh, you know, that'll be in the back of my mind to, to consider you know, that, that comparison. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, like you said, I don't think Hamilton was saying that it was a uh, um, true, you know, similarity there. There are some similarities enough to to make it worth the conversation. Right, um, and this leads us right into the next quote, which they How align. Huh? How about that? I Everything know. we I do <laughs> leads right into the next. Yeah. I guess it is all coming out of the same chapter, so they all all should be pretty similar. <laughs> Um, but we're kind of I'm trying to follow, trying to keep all the quotes in a in a succinct, linear pattern here. Nice. Um, so this next quote on page thirty three, the bottom page thirty three, it says, "The citizens of this kingdom, which we just kind of spoke about, the kingdom." So when Jesus was out in his ministry, when he was saying all these things, he was preaching the kingdom of God. Um, so it says, "The citizens of this kingdom would seek to do God's will." They will love God with all their hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and they will love their neighbors as they love themselves. The ethics of this kingdom would involve each citizen treating others as they wish to be treated and demonstrating selfless love. And then here, this last question, can such a kingdom really exist on earth? Um, I thought that was fascinating quote. Um, good question. Could such a kingdom exist on earth? And um, yeah, that's... I mean that's a million dollar question, and um, I think as I think of the church as a whole and the body of Christ as a whole, we that's in a sense is the goal of the church is to exemplify that kingdom on earth. Um, we are to be um, that to each other, um, and we are to be that to other people, um, but also other people when they look at the church, they should they should see a kingdom the kingdom of God they should see a society that is different a people that is different within the community like that church is different um, what makes them different um, and of course as churches we stumble we fall we struggle um, to meet um, this kingdom call um, and, and ultimately that kingdom can't come I believe that kingdom can't come until Christ's return I mean that's what his return is all about um, his second return is, is bringing the kingdom of God to its fullest um, uniting heaven and earth um, and 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 um, so that we can actually see the face of Christ which is just a phenomenal thing to think about um, but and but answering this quote can this kingdom exist on earth yes and partially no yes in the sense that as a church we are to exemplify that and I and I think if we all um, united through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can do our best to exemplify that and in a very powerful way 
um, but in the sense, can the whole world um, exist as the kingdom of God? I would say no until um, Christ comes back um, and, and his power um, brings that to be. So, Yeah, I agree entirely, and it's a subject I've pondered you know, a number of times over the years. Is it is it and should it be discouraging to us to know that like as a Christian do you you need to feel convinced that we're actually going to win every soul uh, that does and, and has ever and will ever live on this earth uh, over t- to Christ or you know is that uh, is that need to be our um, sole motivation or our sole purpose for for doing what we do because um, that I. I gotta say, I don't think that's gonna be the case, and it's and it's uh, absolutely horrifying that, th- that it's not because whether it's uh, you know five people or five zillion people that we we are unable to reach at the end of time, and uh, are not able to experience salvation with the Lord, um, it's it's there's nothing more tragic, there's nothing more awful to, to consider. But um, I think you know you don't not uh, play you know, a basketball game because, you know, you're not going to win 100 to nothing. You, you play because every every point matters. And, and for us, uh, we, we already know that we have the victory, the victory being um, the, our, our personal salvation is secured if we, uh, if we live in, and follow Christ as he calls us to and truly trust in him. And uh, we also know that we, we do have the formula, so to speak, for how to impact the world and how to right. ensure that this kingdom does exist and is an option for people who do look at it and, and are drawn into Christ and say, I want to experience that. And so we know how to live individually and, and communally such that we can save people. We can tally up points for, for, the, for the victory, for the, for the win, for the good side. And uh, everyone matters. Um, what was it? I don't know if this is a common story. I feel like people tell this all the time, but it's the right time to throw it out there about the guy who, after a storm, was walking on the, the beach and all these uh, starfish had gotten, you know, uh, uh, blown up to, to the shoreline and they were all dying because they were, were not in the water. And he was walking around trying to throw them one after another into the water and somebody walked by and said, why, why do you bother? Because... You know, so many of them, there's no way you're going to save them all. And, and the guy throws the one in and says, well, it matters to this one. It matters to this starfish. I saved this one. And uh, every one matters. So hmm. I think, uh, yeah, do, do I think that that kingdom um, can exist in this world? I think it can uh, in, in pockets. I think it can and, and does and will and can grow and we can gain ground. And uh, the, the Bible tells us that the church will never uh, see its demise. The church will always exist. The church will always continue to fight. And I think we have to believe, as, as Reverend Danny was said in his sermon on Sunday, we have to believe the answer is yes. We have to believe, you know, here at Rocky River United Methodist Church that this kingdom of God and uh, the, the culture of it, the identity wrapped up in it that each of us embrace uh, can take root in uh, our lives, the lives of our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, um, and, and can uh, take our community by storm. We have to believe that it can because it can, uh, but ultimately we know as long as sin exists uh, that there's going to be a, a, very, um, a very difficult enemy to, to combat and 
and um, that not everybody's going to uh, call on the Lord. And, and so uh, all the more reason to be uh, urgently about our business of, of expanding this kingdom uh, everywhere we possibly can. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think um, I like that analogy of the starfish. Um, no matter. Had you heard it's, that before? That, no, I never. Is that oh, a okay. true story? Is that a pastoral? Um, would it make you of... feel more warm and fuzzy <laughs> if I said yes? Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, because the message is still the same. The meaning is still the there same. You go. Um, so it's almost a like a right it's yes. almost like a kid's book it doesn't matter if it's true or not it's, but the teaching what it's teaching is true yeah, just don't tell just, the kids that right yeah just like uh lord of the rings which i lord of the rings is based on a true story it is though. true right yeah, yeah i got um, a hobbit living uh, <laughs> catty corner behind me right. here yeah. in river <laughs> you don't have your, uh, your browns fan neighbor maybe oh yeah maybe yeah maybe they're living in a hole so. <laughs> <laughs> a dark deep dark hole Sorry. Sorry. Anyways, we got sidetracked. We there. did just a bit. Um, all right. So the next couple of quotes I'm going to kind of um, mash together in a, in a sense. Um, so page 19, page 34, and page 35. Um, and the message here is that um, he talks about Messiah and he talks about being anointed. Um, that Messiah, is, the word Messiah is an anglicized version of the Hebrew word Meshach, I guess which literally means anointed with oil or anointed one and it refers to an individual or object upon which special oil has been poured as a way of setting the object or person apart for god's purposes um then verse 30 verse 34 jeez <laughs> page 34 adam hamilton's book is not scripture so um page 34 not verse 34 uh, we've learned that the messiah means anointed one but its most common usage it was another way of saying king um, this I found fascinating. It says, but Jesus' anointing came not at the hands of a high priest, which was typical. So when the king was anointed, uh, there was a typical anointed by a high priest. I believe, did Sam, I think Samuel anointed David, um, I believe, in yeah, Saul any Saul. Right. Yeah. So the anointing usually came from a high priest. But, but Jesus' anointing did not come at the hands of a high priest, but at the hands of three women. Um, I thought that was absolutely fascinating um, to think about. Um, and then, so talk briefly about that. And then also page 35, I think, goes along with these two quotes that when we look at Jesus as king, he's also different because Jesus' correlation or coronation. Coronation, thank you. As king, yep. Yeah, coronation as king happens at the hands of Roman soldiers, the same men that Jesus called his followers to love. Um, they put a crown of thorns and pressed it upon his brow, wounding and scarring his head. He, his exaltation occurred, occurred as they stripped him, nailed him to a cross, and hoisted him into the air. Um, so all of this, all these quotes together uh, just makes it that Jesus' um, kingdom and his kingship was just so different um, than, than those previous. Um, and going back to um, Jesus' anointing of the th by the three women, Three women. So the passages are Luke seven, Matthew twenty six, and John twelve. Um, we see that um, one of them, the women, was a sinner. And one was Mary. Um, was it Mary Magdalene? Maybe. Um, it was a different Mary. Yeah, it was a different Mary. I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then verse Matthew twenty six, I think, also was. Um, 
He was in the si- Simon's house for one of them. Right, Simon's. Oh, house. it was uh, uh, Mary and Martha. Uh, the Mary, right, and Mary, Mary and Martha, Martha was the yeah, one. Exactly. And it's and it's even um, I stumbled through these two because it's scripture doesn't necessarily make it clear when you read the Gospels collectively. Right. You know, one of one or more of them have only two of them recorded. One has one. It's right. not necessarily clear whether they're talking about the same story multiple times right. or they're different accounts. But, right. yeah, Ad, Adam Hamilton summarizes, uh, at least That's in his interpretation, points. three different times. Right. But regardless of how many times it was, it's still, um, the truth still remains that there wasn't, an, like, he was anointed by um, these women. And I find that absolutely fascinating, again, because it's it goes so counter to what typically how a king would be anointed by the high priest. But Jesus... The king of the universe um, is being anointed by those "quote unquote" who are sinners, and and you think of uh, you think of uh, the Pharisee when when the woman came into the into the house of the Pharisee, he the Pharisee said, "Do you know who this is? You would never allow her to touch you." But Jesus allows this, allows the anointing of his feet, um, and and also uh, anointing can also be seen as a king, but his anointing also happened in preparation for burial as well. Um, so it's just, I, I find that really good. I've never, never thought of it that way until I read this mm-hmm. book. So, yeah, there's so many things to unpack there, right. but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, even what you just closed with reminded me of the gifts of, uh, the Magi and the three gifts right. that I won't break them all down now, but they are all gifts somehow, some way that, that related right. to, uh, Jesus's kingship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, the last yeah, the last one was an anointing oil. One of the three gifts was an anointing oil. Right. I think frankincense, maybe gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, and and uh, M and M's. And M and M's, yeah, diapers, jumbo pack. <laughs> diapers, that would be good. I always wondered why, why not something practical? But <laughs> yeah. I think God maybe was trying to tell us that uh, the spiritual is more important than the practical. Right. Right. Well, they could have been practical there. They just didn't list it out. And that's true yeah they they had a whole bunch of people with them and uh, probably in the wagons behind them they had all the good stuff (laughs) gold frankincense and more but point being jesus you know so many things throughout his ministry and the beginning of his life at the end of his life that point to this notion of kingship um and but all with the with the twist right like this upside down notion of what it means to be king right yeah and uh anointing is is one concept hamilton spend some time here on and and yeah this notion of being set apart and this is not a new concept An- anointing kings uh, was new when Saul and it was the first and then David but um, back in Exodus God first introduced it when the Israelites were creating the, the tabernacle and um, he had them anoint the different articles of worship before they began using them as they were set apart for a specific purpose, for God's purpose. Uh, So in in the kings and, um, you know, for burial. And um, so I I think this anointing concept is one of many ways that God calls us once again to kind of recognize our unique identity. And uh, even, you know, circumcision back in, in the Old Testament amongst the Jews and um, today, kind of baptism is almost um, uh, synonymous to circumcision back in the day, although they they are uh, conducted very, <laughs> thankfully, very differently. But uh, uh, but 
God emphasizing the importance of his people being set, set apart, apart, set right. apart, and his people as a whole, as individuals. And then there's this notion that even amongst his people, that are certain people for certain times, maybe, uh, or even for their entire life, that are set aside for a specific purpose. And a king uh, might be that person, a prophet, a priest. Um, but uh, Jesus comes in and, and uh, anointed by these three women as, as king. And most of the world missed it, right, as, as they yeah. did seem to do with everything in Jesus' ministry. Uh, but we have the opportunity years later to recognize that, see the, the beauty of it, peel back the layers, and um, in a process what that means you know, for us. Uh, what does it mean for us to be anointed to do God's work in this world? I almost think it's a, a mockery. Uh, Hamilton's book talked about how the, some monarchs and leaders in the world today are still anointed uh, as part of their essentially coronation ceremony. Um, and, you know, it's a, a beautiful tradition in some ways, but at the same time, I think it's kind of sacrilegious in a sense because there's no real intent uh, to follow through and actually have that person lead as a, a representative of God that's not really woven into any other piece or part of their, their leadership role. Uh, same thing, I don't know, presidents still get sworn in uh, by placing their hand on a Bible uh, here in the States, I think. You know, it's it's nice that we maintain that tradition, but at the same time, it almost makes a mockery of uh, the concept that we're highlighting because there's no follow through. There's there's no. Don't they typically anoint presidents with Mountain Dew or something like that? Mountain Dew or Sprite (laughs) or Sprite? Yeah. They pour it over their heads. Yes, yes, that's the American version. (laughs) If they don't, I'm probably starting conspiracy theory now. You yeah. probably did, Back in, yeah, which will lead to more division <laughs> and just yeah. what we're trying to create here, Yeah, Steven. the division. It's not Mountain Dew. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Sprite. Dr. Pepper. Yeah, it's Sprite. Dr. Pepper. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't know that anointing was still a thing that – but right. um, so I thought that was good. And that going along with um, those three women were anointing Jesus out of reverence and love and, and respect and honor and seeking forgiveness – um, so that that stands in stark contrast to how the Roman soldiers treated Jesus um, to exactly. his mock coronation, where they um, put a crown, fake crown on his head. They put a fake robe on him. They gave him a scepter at one point. Mm-hmm. Then they took it from him and beat him with it. And like then he had like he walked through his whole walk through um, Jerusalem with the cross as a whole mock coronation. Um then they stripped him and nailed him in, in a way he was and jesus speaks about this too in a way he was exalted in a sense or he mm-hmm. was lifted up on a cross though he wasn't lifted up on on a throne as you see a king was he's lifted up on a cross and hoisted into the air uh, for people to mock him and then for Pilate to even make a sign that says here's your king of the jews um, look look at him and and that's exactly what it was all meant to do the romans were were meant were trying to exhibit that to uh to strike fear in the people and basically say to the jews don't you ever try to have a king right it was basically a threat to the jews and say hey if you ever try to have a king um this is what will happen if you ever want to be claimed to be a king of your people king of the jews this is what will happen to you um and jesus was set as an example to the people um to instill fear in them and so it was just his whole his whole death and the whole passion uh, the whole that uh whole 
Friday of his death is just a mockery of him being king, at least to the Romans. But which is crazy because he was and he is the king of right. of the universe. So it's just um, it's just amazing um, that God would allow his son to die in that way and that's and then that's that's the gospel right i mean um that christ exhibited his love to us and forgiveness for our sins um thus and the death that we deserve to die christ died in a public humiliating mm-hmm. way um so yeah that's that was just eye-opening which means that we do hold our highest allegiance to jesus because he gave it all um mm-hmm. for us God would allow it because one, because he knew it was necessary to right. save his children, and and two, because he knew the big picture. Right? He right. knew he could look down upon Jesus on the cross and be weeping in agony, uh, but also know that it was all going to turn out all right. That Jesus would be resurrected. That Jesus would ascend. Uh, Jesus would be glorified. And he already has uh, knows exactly how things are going to play out at the end of time when um, when Jesus is glorified, not just in the eyes of those who call on him as Lord now, but in the the eyes of the entire world as right. people have no choice but to recognize his kingship and and his glory when that time comes and that time will come right. and we need to be prepared for it. Right. And, and um quickly and then if you have any concluding remarks but i i, I can't help but throw out there the the pilot you know, pilot with his uh sign above the cross um just as we're talking about jesus as king you know pilot put the sign up that said uh king of the jews mm-hmm. and the kind of the exchange that took place when um some of the religious leaders came to pilot and said you know don't don't put a sign up that right. says he is the king of the jews put up a sign that says he Claims to claims, be the king of the right, Jews, right. and Pilate's response was, uh, "What I have written, I have written." written right. You know, so Pilate, a very interesting character, and obviously not particularly likable because he's directly responsible, uh, amongst other people, and for for Jesus's crucifixion. But clearly, something was at work in his heart and in his mind in the midst of all of this, where maybe. Even as he struggled to act on it, he was able to recognize that there was something unique about Jesus and that he very well may have been uh, the Son of God or at least something more than what the people saw in him, Pilate saw in him. And that may be even a controversial thing to suggest, but really I think there's a lot of Pilate in, in all of us that maybe we have this sense that Jesus really is king, but we struggle in our day-to-day lives to, to live like it, to really... You know, we'll, we'll throw out little hints here and there, and we'll, we'll stand up for him when um, when called to count. But uh, there are times when, you know, the crowds are pushing in on us or there's too much pressure from above and beneath us, and, and we just can't consistently uh, live out our, our beliefs that Jesus really is king and, and make him Lord of our lives. So I think there's a lot of pilot, at least in me, I'll, I'll say that much. Right. Um, yeah, I don't have my pilot's license yet, so... <laughs> You're just full of all of these little quips today. Must be a turkey uh, uh, hangover or something. Right, turkey yeah. hangover. All right, um, this leads us into our last quote, because every quote <laughs> led, led us into the, another quote. How about that? Um, all right, so final quote on page 39, which basically sums up the whole chapter. Um, great quote, and uh, it starts with, top of 39, it says, I don't believe it is an overstatement to say that he, Jesus, 
is the single most influential person to have walked this planet. Um, for those who count him as king, as I do, we awaken each day recognizing that our highest allegiance, our deepest devotion, and our greatest commitment is not to country or political party or even to family, but to Jesus Christ, our king, whose kingdom is the climax of human history. Um, and I, and I uh, completely agree with that. And um, that our highest allegiance is to Christ, even over our country, political party, and even over our family. And I even argue even over ourselves that we that we die to ourselves to allow Christ to live in us. That, as Paul said in Galatians, that I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Um, that he is our highest allegiance that we are called to. And um, I think this... Sorry, you had a little technical difficulty there. Um... But yeah, I think still our highest allegiance is to Christ and always will be to Christ um, until uh, we still struggle through um, following Christ. But um, as we wait for Christ's return, we continue to exemplify Christ and shine his light um, to those uh, around us. So any last words, Paul, that final words? I shouldn't say last words, any final <laughs> words. <laughs> Anything else you want to attribute to? Flying your flag at half uh <laughs> half mass tomorrow for me. Right. last words no uh yeah i think hamilton's quote there was intended to be a summary statement i think it really does sum it up we we are children of the king and uh, if we act in that that manner we live our lives with that as our primary identity we, we can have an impact and, and the kingdom um the heavenly kingdom will take root in this world as it already has and will grow and and other people will at some point, uh, for a living the way God calls us to, they will see and, and become open to the possibility that that this heavenly kingdom is real and is more important uh, and holds more value for them than anything that this world can offer, whether it be their political party or, or their national identity or their family identity. And, and that's, that's who we are. That's why we're here. And um, I think uh, I think together uh, we can we can be successful. All right. All right. I think that wraps it up for chapter one. We're going to bring chapter two to you next week, and uh, and then the following week I think we're going to do chapters three and four together. So we look forward to um, everyone. I'm looking forward to speaking about those, and hopefully you look f- look forward to listening to it. Um, and uh, if you want to join us here in person at eight thirty. 10 o'clock and 1130. Right. Right. All right. Score. Um, three for three. Yeah. So um, love to see you all in person and uh, um, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.